Bibles, if you will, to Leviticus chapter 9. Seeking the presence. Why do we come to church? Why do we gather in Jesus' name? Is it not to sense the presence of God? You know, um, if you're visiting um, and you go into a church that you've never been before, the building, uh, the assembly of that people, one of the things you, uh, you hope to f- sense is God's presence. And this has been our goal, this is our objective here, that when you walk through that threshold of this, into this sanctuary, that you sense the peace, you sense the love of God. And in your time here on Sunday mornings, you're, you're blessed, your burdens are lifted, and you sense the love and the peace and the acceptance from God. This is what it's all about. And as we make our way through Leviticus here. Chapter 9 is the beginning of the Aaronic priesthood ministry, their service unto the Lord for the nation of Israel. Now this chapter here in particular is at the end of the week-long ordination. There was a feast for the ordination of the high priest that lasted a week. And uh, this is now where Aaron is going to begin his leadership as the high priest of the nation. And Once again, we're going to see that it's so important that all things be conducted as the Lord has instructed, as God has commanded them to be done. Moses was given the blueprint to the tabernacle. You know, the physical things are probably rather easy to grasp. You know, this is what, here's the blueprint, make it like this. But now when it comes to the offerings, it's no less important. This is what they mean, this is what they are for, and this is how you're to do them. And so God lays it out beautifully uh, through Moses to instruct the priesthood on how to go about this. And up until this point, it's been Moses who has been, you know, demonstrating these things. Well, now it's up to the Aaron and his sons and the Levitical order to carry out uh, what they've been taught. And primarily what I want to focus on uh, this morning is uh, two verses, verses 6 and verses 23. And I'll give you the sort of the layout, the general layout of the chapter, and then we'll read these two particular verses rather than just uh, lumber through 24 verses. And hopefully you get the idea that if you read ahead, you know, during the week, you know, you, you read uh, the chapter before you get here, it's gonna, you're, you're going to grasp a little bit more. You're going to be at least familiar with the content, and you'll be enriched by doing so. So, uh, again, this is the beginning of the uh, priestly ministry of uh, Aaron. And so uh, Moses gathers the elders together, brings the congregation there in front of the the tabernacle, and they bring the young bull for the sin offering, uh, the kid of the goats for the sin offering. Uh, They bring the bull and the ram for the peace offerings and the sacrifice uh, and all. And the ram for ordination and just consecration of the priest. They have these various animals there, slaughtering them in front of the people, catching the blood in the basins, and then anointing and sprinkling the blood as God ordained uh, things to be. And then, you know, after 
this is done. Aaron takes his place under the direction of Moses, and he carries out uh, for the first time uh, his duties as the high priest. So looking at verse 6 here, And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. This is the objective. This is what God is after. God wants to manifest himself. He wants to demonstrate himself to his people. You know, our eyes cannot see. Our physical eyes cannot see. You know, no one has seen God at any time. We worship the Lord in spirit. It is something that's happening within our being. We are spiritual beings. The deepest recesses of our heart, our being, is spiritual. This is the eternal part of our being. What we see and what you see, you know, I have, well, I used to have brown hair. Uh, not so much anymore. <laughs> but what you see in the outward, that's going to perish. That's just the little tent, so to speak, that I'm dwelling in right now. We're going to put off our tent. We're going to move into our home when we get to heaven. We'll be, won't be unclothed, but we'll be clothed with the new body, a glorified body, eventually what God has in mind for us. And so this is uh, what it's about, this ministering to the Lord, coming into his presence, worshiping God, as it were, in the spirit. And this is the thing. This is the prescribed way in which you and I can sense the presence of God, that we can truly know that we are doing things in the prescribed manner that he's ordained. So, but how many people desire the presence of the Lord. By nature, we are alienated from God. We want to run from God. We are ashamed. Uh, we're no different than Adam and Eve. After they sinned, they went and ran and hid in the bushes at the presence of God. But thankfully, through the precious blood of Christ, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, none of us in this room, none of God's children need be ashamed. We have full right, full authority to come boldly with confidence into the presence of God, knowing that our Father loves us, we're accepted in the beloved, our sins are covered once and for all. And this is what God wants us to experience. He wants us to experience His presence. His presence is experienced because we desire it. It's up to us. He's made the provision. He's opened the door. The, the way into the holy place has been opened for us. It's now up to us. Do you want God's presence? Do you want to sense the presence of God? You know, sometimes we want to complain why this and why that with, about God. Well, how, why not just spend some time with Him? Why not enjoy Him? Enjoy His presence, His goodness. So what we're, we're ordained to experience. This is why we teach the Bible. We want people to understand how much God cares, how much God wants to be involved personally in our lives wants us to have that moment-by-moment moment walk with Him where we share every care, every hurt, every sorrow, every happiness uh, that we have with Him. To be ignorant of the Bible, to be ignorant of the ways of God is to live well below the level of living that He has intended for you. It's really sad that so many Christians live on welfare, spiritually speaking. They live well below what's been provided for them in the person of Christ. And this is really sad. Why is that? Well, we seek our fulfillment in the material world. 
but we and we fail really to grasp the, the power of the statement that Jesus made. He said, "A man's life does not consist of the things in which he possesses." And especially this time of year, this is what we do. We give gifts and we accumulate stuff, <laughs> wealth. Nothing wrong with that uh, in and of itself, but this is sort of what we do. We somehow think that these things, uh, these material things, will somehow bring satisfaction and fulfillment in our lives. Now, I like tools, but, you know, they don't bring fulfillment to me. They actually lead to sweat. <laughs> I've got to use them, you know. You know, material things are they're sort of deceitful in that sense. They don't really give you what you are hoping they will when you possess them. But not true of the things of God. When you possess love, God's love, and you experience joy and peace, these things never lose their novelty, so to speak. They're always good. They're always a wonderful thing to possess. And so uh, you should pick up this concept in the Old Testament uh, in regards to living the abundant life. God wanted to bless his people. He told them that if they would obey him, they would experience this abundant life. Jesus really made it clear. I mean, it's there in the Old Testament, shalom and all. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Peace, this abundant life. And, but Jesus, when he came, he made it really clear in John 10. I have come that they might have life. Those who love me, those who want to serve me, I have come that they might have life, and life more abundantly. And life, uh, spiritually speaking, is what he's talking about. He's not talking about material wealth. He's talking about eternal wealth, what, the things that last forever. Life more abundantly. Paul described it in Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 17. Kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. This is our, these are the things that truly satisfy the need of a human being. I think it's important that we recognize that despite living here within a fallen nature, which we all have to deal with, under a cursed earth and all the conditions thereof, we can still live an abundant life. We can still experience this kind of living if we choose to. And I think the sooner we understand that it's our choice, the sooner we'll begin to employ what's been made available to us by the grace of God. You see, living on earth is not just the beginning of our existence. It's just the beginning of our existence, I should say. We're going to go on from here. We're just getting acclimated to things of God. We're just coming into a knowledge of God and the ways of God. Our existence will never cease. Most people don't understand that. There are people who Outside the faith, as soon as you close your eyes for the last time, you cease to exist. Nothing could be further from the truth. You actually will enter into a realm that is more real. That is the greater reality. I've kind of, as I said before, I sort of, for all you 
Trekkies, you know, you start Trekkies, you know, it's we're, we're, this is kind of like the holodeck experience. <laughs> you know, it's sort of uh, not the total reality that we would uh, think it is. It's not what we see with our eyes, but what we know intuitively in our spirit there's more. There's more to life than what we see and sense with our by five senses. And... Um, <laughs> Because we're fallen, and we have this misunderstanding about a lot of things. A lot of people believe that heaven is the default position we go to after we die. That, well, you know, we, we're a good people, we're a good person, so therefore, uh, when we die, our default place to end up in eternity is heaven. And that would be a mistake. Our default position is not heaven. It's a place uh, where we will be estranged from God. In our fallen condition and in this fallen world, we are given a choice. We need to make a choice to change that default position of being separated from God because we are born into this world estranged from God. There has to be a conscious effort made by us individually That we no longer want to live estranged from God. We don't want to be alienated from the blessing of God. So therefore, we must make a choice. We have been given the freedom to choose. Will we choose to be on God's side, receive eternal life, or will we continually, throughout our lifetime, reject Him, refuse His Lordship, refuse to bend our knees and submit ourselves to Him? This is the challenge we have in life. Whether or not we'll submit to God. But as we're born, as David said, I was altogether born in sin. We came out of our mother's womb estranged from God. And the only way we can change that is by our own choice to repent and turn to Him. So, you know, we often hear, well, God's going to send me to hell because I'm a bad person. Well, let me tell you, if you consider yourself in that category, bad person, we're all sinners, by the way. But God does not send anybody to hell. People go there because they choose to go there. And this is the truth. People go to that place because they do not love God and they are not willing to submit their lives to Him. It's no different than what Satan and the angels did. The devil and the angels rebelled against God. Therefore, God made a place called hell. Hell is a place where God is not. See, Satan and his angels did not want to no longer submit to God's love, his authority and rule over their life, so God accommodated them by creating a place called hell where they would could, will go and spend eternity separated from him. And that's essentially what happens to the fallen human, human being. Those who refuse to change their default position will go to that place of being separated from God forever. Now you, you got you know these are not fun things to talk about, but they're important things to talk about because you don't want people to be deceived, self-deceived. Well, you know, hey, I'm a good person. I've I've never done this. I've never done that. And I do this and I do that, as if they're works. We like to rely on our works as somehow that's going to curry favor with God. What does the Bible tell us? Our righteousness, our self-effort, is as filthy rags before God. He's perfect and holy. None of us can manifest perfection or holiness 
on that kind of level, the level that God requires because of who he is. He's not anti-human. He's just laid it out a way that is prescribed that allow, will allow us to come his way. And so let's think about it the other side of it. Heaven is God's place where he dwells, where he's chosen to manifest his glory, not in completeness because the heavens of heavens cannot contain the glory of God. But God has sort of manifested himself to some degree at least in heaven for the angels and for the departed souls that love him, where his love, his joy, and the presence of his love is just be off the charts. This is a place where I'd like to go. In fact, I... from from some of the things I've heard, and I can't imagine it being any different than this, the people that are there don't want to come back. (laughs) I don't think I would want to come back when I read about the description and the joys of heaven and the things that we, you and I have to look forward to. All the love and joy and contentment one could ever wish for are waiting for us on the other side. Isn't that great? What a hope we have. And so what we're learning in this life, this side of heaven, is this coming, learning to come into a deep personal relationship with Jesus. That's what my ministry is about, discipleship, teaching uh, us and myself how to walk with God, how to, how to ab- apply the Word of God to my life so that I can receive the blessings and the knowledge of God and the, have the walk of God of Deeping, a deepening, growing relationship. It's just it's simply uh, that simple. And so really, it comes down to the, this main principle of life. Seeking the presence of God should be the main concern of every human being. I mean, after all, if we're going to spend eternity with him, we might think about wanting to get to know him just a little bit before we get there. You don't want to be a stranger with God, so to speak, right? And so... Uh, and then look at verse 23. We have, if you, you do the thing in verse 6 that the Lord commanded, the glory of God will appear. And in verse 23, and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to the people. Do you see this great and precious promise here? If you do what God says, you will experience the presence of God. He will manifest His glory his goodness, his love in a very substantial and powerful way in your life. Healing will be part of your life. Restoration will become part of your life. The goodness of God will overflow. These are the promises that have been left to you and to me. So the result of true worship is, look, notice there what the people did. Verse 24, the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. True worship of God always leads to greater fear of God. The fear of the Lord just grips our being, grips our souls. Now, fear not in the sense that I want to run and hide in the bushes, but just deep respect. I don't want to do anything that's going to offend God I don't want to cross the line. I don't want to be rebellious. I don't want to be a maverick. I want to, I want to be submitted to God. I want to be close to God. And this is the thing that happens to us when we truly have an encounter with the Lord. Now, 
Again, let's sort of rehash a little bit of this. And for some of you visitors, this will hopefully help a little bit, bring you up to speed here in chapter 9. But we've gone through in the first uh, five chapters, there are the five offerings, uh, different types of offerings uh, that were to be brought before the Lord so the people could have this deep, intimate, personal relationship with Him. And the first one that was uh, we covered, uh, and sort of in this offering, uh, was the burnt offering, and then the grain offering, and then the peace offering, and then later on, verse uh, chapter five, we got into the sin and trespass offering. But there is an order when when they're put together and they're observed. Uh, they're not in the linear order that we read. They're read, they're in this order. It is first the sin in the trespass offering. We need atonement. We need our sins to be covered, and in our case, taken away from us so that we can approach the holiness. And then there's the burnt offering, which represents this absolute surrender of our lives to God. You know, everything that's put on that altar as a burnt offering is totally consumed. There was, there was nothing to be brought back or taken back by the offerer. It was complete, full-on surrender. This is what Paul is talking about once again in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the right thing to do. It's the, it's the correct thing to do. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the power of His Spirit your life, the renewing of your mind. So that was the burnt offering. And then the grain offering, and that was the gift of homage. It, it was declaring after that you've surrendered your life, you're willing to submit this loyal submission to God. He loves me with loyal love. I am going to submit my life to him. and not. I, in other words, I'm no longer going to resist If this is your will and this is what I'm commanded to do, then, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm no longer going to sit on the throne of my heart. You are there. You are the king. You are the one that leads and directs my life. You're the one who understands why you created me for the purpose and destiny and all, Lord. And so I just trust you. And that's what the grain offering would express. And then that was followed by the peace offering, where you just love God, you, you, your sins are forgiven, you're fully surrendered, you're, you're, you're just submitted to God, and you just want to be with Him. It's the fellowship offering, in a sense. It's that peace that God wants us to enjoy with Him. And so, these, again, these are, this is the order. And this is obviously the same thing that we go through every time we gather in Jesus' name. You know, isn't this the way you sense things? Like, oh, I'm going to church, man. I got, you know, I got to, I got to get these things right, man. I got to get some things right in my heart, my mind. I mean, like, I really like what that guy did to me, and I just really, I'm really not feeling too affectionate towards that person right now. You know, all the sins, you know, all the attitudes that we really like need to deal with. I don't know about you, but the, I, you know, not just because I'm the pastor and I got to stand before you. I mean, that, there's, that does come into play, but there's more than that. I'm coming into the presence of God, so I want to be right with God. I, I always want to deal with sin in my life because I know that sin will separate me from God. And I, it doesn't break relationship, but it breaks the sensitivity, the fellowship that I want to have with him. So number one, I always deal with my sin and, and the trespasses and examine my heart in coming to church, and coming to the assembly of the saints. And then I, am I surrendered? Am I totally just, am I, am I trying to take myself back off the altar, so to speak? No, I'm in this for the long haul. Here I am, 
<laughs> right? And then, of course, do I really love him? Am I really submitted? I might be surrendered, but am I totally submitting to him in, in everything? Oh, man, these are challenging thoughts that arise in my heart. But I have found by my life experience in doing so, I received the greatest blessing and the deepest, richest fulfillment in my life by doing this, by, by conducting myself in this way. Well, you should. You're the pastor. No, no. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm just in this office, but I'm no different than you. What's required of me is required of you, right? And there's no difference in that sense. And then I just love being with you guys, and I love being in the presence of God, the peace offering. And so this is a thing uh, that happens. You know, those are, that's the shadow and type. Now we experience it, you know, weekly, daily, as it were, uh, there. So... If we follow this order, and if they followed this order, God said that he would bless his people. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is obviously Moses rehearsing to the generation that would be entering into the promised land. Their parents of this generation had fallen in the, in the wilderness. They had disobeyed God, and they failed to enter into the full blessing because of their disobedience was an example to this generation. But then, I'm not going to read all these, but if it would be good for you to read them. Remind yourself, maybe just a few of them here. Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. Now, it shall come to pass, if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you, and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed are you when you come in. Blessed are you when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to ri- who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you in one way and shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you and your storehouses in which all of you set your hand. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And you can go on to read this because it will bless you in just reading the blessings, right? But notice here in verse 2, the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. What is God saying? I'm going to find, I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to find you and I'm going to bless you. That's that's in in actuality what he's saying. Do you feel like God's looking for you to bless you? That's the kind of God that we serve. He's not a reluctant God. Oh, I can hardly wait to punish them. You know, there's some people think that God's mad at them. No, God is not mad at his children. I mean, I, I didn't grow up with angry parents. At least they weren't, didn't express anger towards me. And I can't imagine growing up in, a, in, an, in an angry household. That would have been really tough. But there are some people think because of sin and because of disobedience that God's just waiting to, to strike them. You know, like something bad happens in my life. Well, that's just God paying me back for the things that I did wrong. Well, I'm going to hold on here. Now, if that was the case, we'd all be toast. I mean, that's not how God operates. He knows, we're, he knows our frame, he knows we're but dust. He's merciful and gracious. If God rewarded us for our sins, then forget about coming to church ever again because we wouldn't be worthy. But it's all 
forgiven in the person of Jesus Christ. And God's intent is, is his goodness. And we should never forget that. And yet we do have questions. Why doesn't God bless me? Why don't I feel blessed? Well, I, I got a hunch. And it's a lot of has to do uh, with me, not God. is isn't that I've got to do something. It's, it's, there's something along the way that's sort of blocking the flow of that blessing. You know, let's go back. Am I con- dealing with sin in my life? You know, just, follow, just kind of follow the order of the, of the sacrifices there. You know, am I dealing with my shortcomings and my failures? Am I being real with God about who I am? Or am I trying to, you know, cover myself, so to speak? You know, am I, am I, have I really surrendered? There's a lot of people that got one foot in the world. Well, in case this thing with God doesn't really work out, you know, I've got to have a backup plan. You know, that, that's not full surrender, folks. So, you know, that might be a problem. And even if, you, say you have surrendered, are you submitted? Well, all but this area. This, like, this not quite there yet. You know, you know, you know the deal. It, somehow we just lack the faith to really just, like, with reckless abandon, so to speak, give it all to God. And then the peace offering. Do I really want God's presence? Do I desire it? You know, these are the things... Uh, you know, I, I'm going to just tell you right now, you, you have this kind of mindset, and especially if you've just recently been converted, <laughs> they're going to think you flipped out. Like, you really are become a religious fanatic. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of fanatics in this world. I mean, that's why they call them fans. You know, sports fans stands for fanatics. We don't condemn them, do we? Well, I just happen to be a fan of God. I think he's like really cool. I mean, like awesome even, right? Compared to, and, and what are you comparing my fanaticism to? Yours, if you have idols. So let's get a perspective here. It's okay. You know, I, well, you know, some of those guys are just, those recent, they're just so obnoxious. That Jesus this and Jesus that. Well, you know, they'll grow and we will grow in grace, and we don't have to, you know, let everybody know what's happening in, in our lives. You know, you can be become a little more subtle in your display of joy. Usually, it's just you can't control yourself when you first come to the Lord because He's, he's like, "Wow, this is so great!" You know, I remember my f- first few years as a convert. Man, I was br- crashing parties and <laughs> preaching the gospel and streets and and everywhere. What happened to that guy? You know, yeah. Well, I met God. And God met me, but I've grown in grace and become a Lord more tactful in sharing God's love, and that will happen. And so, again, this is uh, what's happening in my faith is I've grown in my understanding of God's grace and mercy. You know, I've learned that the blessings of God really depend upon my faith and my attitude. And I can tell you right now, uh, my faith has grown because I've been in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and the blessings have grown in my life because I've had my attitude adjusted millions of times along the, the path of life. You know, what I think isn't always right, and, and, and as we all know, we have to, to grow and to learn. And so this is, this is the thing. If you will give yourself to the word of God, the word of God imparts life, you'll grow like never before. Your understanding will grow. Your faith will grow. 
your blessings will grow because you begin to come into that place where God can bless you. This is what Jude is actually talking about there in verse 25. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's like keeping yourself in the place where God's blessings can come upon you. Some of them will be material, but by and large, most of them will be the joys that you experience as you walk with him and experience his love. Now, uh, back to here, uh, the context, again, of these sacrifices, three areas in particular. All these sacrifices cover atonement, they cover purification, and consecration. This is what it's about. We're talking about a God who is so absolutely holy and perfect that if anything is out of order, his holy wrath will break out against it. That is just because of his purity. And he is, that's why he's had to pull back and sort of hide himself from what goes on on the earth. His visible presence is not here for us. He's restricting his re- revelation of himself because otherwise we'd be toast. It would destroy us. And that's why he's created this holodeck, so to speak. This fallen condition allows us to work through it and to him to dis- reveal himself in, in different ways. That's why God is mysterious to us. There's a veil over our eyes. We we see through the glass, says Paul says in Romans 13, we see through the glass darkly. It's not really totally clear to us. We're, we're like, we're really trying to figure it all out, and that's okay. And the more we seek it, the more God will reveal it to us. The mysteries of God, and biblical mysteries, are not mysteries that keep us in ignorance. They're mysteries that can be revealed and are revealed, and they're there if we will ask and seek, and God will show us. And that's the fun part. Curiosity should cause us to seek. Anybody, uh, when you think about these offerings, you should be cognizant that this is what God is is doing through these sacrifices. And these sacrifices all pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He's taken care of our atonement. He's taken care of our purification. He's taken care of our consecration. It's now firmly upon us to surrender so that we can have these three things work deeply into our being. This substitutionary system that God allowed, uh, what was he after here? Well, it was sufficient to cover the sins of the people in the Old Testament. It was sufficient to provide what was needed for him to have fellowship with his people, to come into their presence without his holy wrath destroying the things that were unclean and the things that were defiled. And then, and this is why we see the blood uh, come into it. Again, the blood involved in these sacrifices were for consecration. They were for purification and atonement. And we see this time and time again, Moses taking the blood. Now, if you're taking notes, and I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit here. Exodus 24, uh, 5 through 8, Moses sprinkles the blood. He the young guys finish up the sacrifice. They bring uh, the blood to him. Uh, verse 6, he took half the blood and he put it into the basins and half the blood he sprinkled around the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And all that the Lord has said, they said, we'll do and we'll be obedient. And he took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. I mean, you know, this blood is a sanctifying thing. Very important for us to understand that. Now, this is difficult because we're not Hebrew. We don't, you know, we're, you know, 
We don't understand the sanctity of blood, naturally. I, at least I don't. I mean, I've had to really kind of meditate on it and think about the importance of what God says about the blood uh, in the Bible. And if you're taking notes, some other references, there's Numbers 19, 1 through 6, Leviticus 16, uh, which we'll probably get to later on. Uh, I think maybe the best way to frame the use of blood uh, is this. All uncleanness, everything that defiles, are born from the realm of death. This is the result of Satan's rebellion. And so the only way to cleanse this defilement is the antidote. The antidote to death is life. And as the Bible tells us, life is in the blood. This is why they were commanded not to partake of the blood. You can't eat meat with blood in it. Stay away from the blood, you're crossing the line. That is an abomination to God. He is the life giver. We're not allowed to to create life, as it were, uh, apart from what he gives us. So life is in the blood. This is, uh, this is before the law. Again, if you're taking notes, Genesis 9-4. You shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Surely your lifeblood will I demand a reckoning from. And from the hand of every beast I require. You see the sanctity of the blood of a man and, and all. And so Leviticus 17-11 Again, life of the flesh is in the blood. Deuteronomy twelve twenty three, uh, you shall not eat it. Don't just pour it out like water upon the earth. Just stay away from the the blood and personal use of the blood. Now, if we go back to chapter eight of in Leviticus, there's a couple of things that are important here in regards to the blood, and this comes to you and it comes to me, especially those uh, that are in leadership. In verse twenty two of chapter 8, we read this. He, Moses, brought the second ram. Of, this is during the consecration time of, of the, of the uh, priesthood. Aaron and his sons, he laid their hands on the head of the ram and Moses killed it. He also took some of the blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear and on his right hand, uh, the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands, and the big toes of their right feet. And then he sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Now, obviously, there's something there that we need to to gather for our uh, personal application here. Uh, It consecrated him. It purified him for his service. Number one, I think it's very important for people that are called to serve in the church. And, and understand, I'm saying this is applicable to every one of us because we are, what, part of a priesthood. We are all part of the priesthood. We are a, a, priest, a nation of priests before God. That's our place. Well, I'm not worthy of that. No, we're not. Nobody's worthy of it, but that's God's will. That's God's choice. And His blood, His atonement, the power of his blood, the power of his atonement qualifies us for this awesome service that we have before God. And as servants of God, it's important that our ears be anointed so that we hear the voice of God. How important it is for the leadership, especially, to hear the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Can you discern in your life the voice of God?
Can you tell your voice? Can you tell this counterfeit voice of the enemy? Now we don't, we're not perfect at hearing. It's like we don't, we hear words, but we don't always hear the message, right? My wife accuses me of that regularly. You, did you hear what I said? Well, I heard you. Yeah, I didn't. Now, I may have heard the words, but I didn't hear the intent, right? So hearing and really understanding is what we're about here. And so don't become discouraged if you fail and you don't always hear accurately. It's not, we're not perfect at it, but just keep trying and make it your prayer. Lord, help me to hear your voice. Help me to understand that this is, that this is really you speaking to me and not something I'm sort of making up here. And the last thing I need, you know, is for my will to be done. That's not going to be a good thing if it happens. So I need to hear the voice of God. And secondly, the service, the right hand, the, the thumb. The service I do needs to be anointed by God. Number three, the walk. I need to be in line with God's commands to do His will. I need to hear, I need to serve, and I need to walk in the anointing and blessing of God in my life. Make it a regular habit to pray for the leaders of the church, to pray for one another in this area, how we all need to be led by God. And then we'll close here with two other things. Go to chapter 10, verse 1. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire on it and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, they offered Esh Zarah, and that is fire or strange, something foreign or illegitimate, not something commanded by God. And so, you know, we don't know exactly what went on there. I mean, uh, but what they did obviously was not what God had commanded them to do. So notice it does say his own censor, his little staff that they would take the incense and put on there. And then they thought, well, they would add to the God's command, apparently. So we know incense is sort of the, tied in with prayer. And, you know, here's what we can deduce at least from this. It was their idea. It was self-effort. Jesus, through Paul, said, and himself said this, and Paul said it as well, the flesh profits nothing. There is nothing in my fallen nature, my sin nature, that I can offer to God. That's just why my works are not acceptable. Well, I do this and I do that. And then all these little good things, you know, goody two-shoe. No, 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 no. My fallen nature cannot please God in any way. God only has one sentence for the old man, and that's the cross. Crucify it. I want you to live. You're born again. I want you to live under the power and influence of your new nature. Be clothed with my righteousness. That kind of a thing. So this idea of self-effort, doing things in addition to what God has said. Remember the curse that comes upon those in the book of Revelation. Do not add to or take away from this book. Whoever adds to or takes away from what is written in this book shall receive the curses thereup 
in. <laughs> Pay attention. There's a heavy burden and a strict punishment that comes upon those who are presumptuous. And that's really what was going on here. And all presumption is sin. Well, I thought, I assumed we should never have that. That's why it's foreign. It wasn't legit. Now, think about it for a minute. Fire is an instrument of destruction. To offer something that is destructive to God would be as if you were tempting the God with evil. So there's some, there's some deep truths here that we would do well to meditate on. And this is why we are to enter into the presence of God with fear. True worship, as I said earlier, brings fear and reverence. Not the kind of fear that we want to run and hide, but <clears throat> God has said this is the way to do it. Let's be careful that we do it this way. Notice in verse 3 there in chapter 10. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. That's the requirement of leadership. That's really the requirement of the church of Jesus Christ. It's, it's on us to fully accurately represent God. Let, you know, this is why Paul says, you know, whoever names the name of Christ, let him depart from sin. I mean, God help us. Has the fear of God struck your heart yet? I mean, I, whew, I mean, I'm putting this together, and I'm like, it's heavy duty here. I mean, I'm getting a serious introspection going on, and this is good. See, they, they were using their authority in a way that was not prescribed by God, and this is what will happen to pastors. When it comes judgment day, how have I exercised my authority in leading the people of God? That's what I'm going to be judged for. I'm going to receive a greater condemnation, a greater judgment than, than you. And I'm concerned about that. Pray for me. That is a, I, don't, I think about that regularly. And so the idea is that our approach to God must be with carefulness and humility. Any unsanctioned or unauthorized action as were done by these two sons of Aaron will result in instantaneous death. I mean, God was inaugurating this new thing here, the, the Levitical order. And he set down an example right from the start. And I think when God starts something new, he always sets down the criteria and then when it's violated, he really enforces it. And I can see he did that with Nadab and Abihu. He also did it in the early church in chapter 5 of the book of Acts. Two people, Ananias and Sapphira, pretended to be something that they weren't. And God struck them dead right in the midst of the congregation for, for their hypocrisy. That tells you what God thinks about it, hypocrisy. Let's not be pretentious. Let's not be acting. Let's be real. God's provided everything in our lives to cause us. We can be real with one another. We can be real before God. It's all been taken care of through the precious blood of Christ. There's no need to like, well, you know, act, just, hey, this is where I'm at. I need help. That's why I'm not afraid to ask for prayer. You know I desperately need it. <laughs> you, I've confirmed that several times, I think, to you. <laughs> and the other thing is, and this is really actually what we're, this is the depth of our fallenness. Who are we to sit in judgment of what God has proposed be done? 
as if you know we can add uh, to what God has done and make it better. Oh, this is cool. Let's do this. You know, it'll this will bless the people. Really? <laughs> okay. I wouldn't go there. I don't think that's a, a good good thing. You know, I just you know, let's get a perspective. How can we, as fallen creatures, ignorant? of who God is and his incomprehensible being, how can we begin to even think to know what God's purposes and plans and God's ways are unless he reveals them to us? And so it puts us in our place. So this is the idea of uh, how we can understand what it means to come before God with fear and trembling because we respect him. We honor him in his person. Now, to end with this, and this is why the peace offering was mentioned last. The epitome of our relationship with God is to be peace. And this is one, a wonderful gift that God gave it to us. And this is, you know, we're going to celebrate this here in the next couple of weeks. Jesus is who? The Prince of Peace. On earth, good peace and good will towards men. This is God's desire that there be no alienation but no conflict just utter peace between God and ourselves and you know when you have the peace of God it's just a wonderful experience to have and I hope when you come to church week in and week out you are sensing God's peace God's love God's goodness the Old Testament word is shalom and Jesus is the prince of shalom, right? And the New Testament word is irene. It's the same thing. It's God, is, you know, what does it say in the New Testament? Jesus is our peace. And so even in this priestly blessing that was given to the priesthood in Numbers chapter 6, 23, 22 through 27, God told the people how to bring, God told the priesthood how to bring the people of God into the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. Shalom is the, it refers to completeness, wholeness. It has the idea of complete restoration. It's like if you built a wall, the wall would have no holes. There would be nothing broken in it. It would be a, a complete wall. It, as it refers to human beings, it is referring to the state of being. David went to the front lines to see his brothers. And he was checking on their shalom, their state of being. And this is what God in, is concerned about with you. This is what God is concerned about with me, our state of being. Is everything whole? Is everything well? Am I complete? Am I being completed? And I want to extend this other great precious promise to us. He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is God who gives you both the will and the power to do of his good pleasure. It's not from self-effort. We don't have to be presumptuous about anything. It comes to us because we are fully surrendered. It comes to us because we are fully submitted to God. And the result of a life that's 
given in that manner to God is peace. This is what God wants you to experience today. This is what God wants you to experience this week and for the rest of your days while you're here is the peace of God. So I'm going to ask us to stand at this point as we come to a close here. And I know that some of you are no different than me. In fact, all of you are the same. We're all made out of the same material. That, that you possibly are being robbed of your peace. There's fear that's controlling your heart, your emotions. There's, there's intimidation. There's some things that just aren't what they ought to be, and you need restoration. So as the team comes and we sing, I want you to bring that fear, that insecurity, that whatever's keeping you from sensing the completeness and wholeness and the full restoration that God has for you, I want you to bring that to him in the quietness of your own heart. Say, God, dear Lord, I have an issue here. I'm not maybe completely surrendered here. I'm not totally submitted to you as I ought to be. And you name it, and you bring it before your Father, and he will heal. He'll remove it. He'll restore you. That's our Father. Shall we sing and shall we pray? Father, I want to lift up my brothers and sisters to you as well as myself. And Lord, I ask that you would make us all whole, that we would all experience shalom. We know that this is what your intention is, Lord, that we have your peace and that we all live that abundant life that you've ordained for us. Please forgive our sins. Please forgive our unbelief. We want to start afresh now, Lord. If that is your prayer, please raise your hand to the Lord now and say, God, please Restore me, make me whole, and ask it in Jesus' name, shall we sing.